you, the working person, um, are going to need to be ready to learn, unlearn, and relearn and do jobs that don't exist today. Take skills you have and identify what the delta is, what the gap is between what you need to know and figure out where you need to learn it and learn those skills and then do the new job and then do it again and then do it again. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hi, and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. My name's Rick Nusky. I'm the host of this wonderful experience, and I just want to take pause to thank you, uh, the listeners, for supporting the show. And all of my guests, you have been absolutely wonderful. Your feedback is incredible, and it's making all the difference, knowing that it's making a difference for you. Now, on today's show, I have somebody incredibly special. His name's Christopher Bishop, and uh, we're going to be talking about futurists. We're going to be looking at the future of jobs, and and uh, a lot of other different things, a lot of very interesting topics that Christopher has been involved with throughout his life. So welcome to the show, Christopher. Well, hello, hello, and welcome. Delighted to be here. I'm just unplugging my phone. I realized I have a landline next to my desk, and mostly I get spam calls these days, but it would be attractive to be interrupted. Uh, um, you're not the only you, one. Rick. I'm delighted to be here. Looking forward to our conversation, uh, sharing my perspective on um, how people need to think about learning and working in the global borderless workplace and especially in this crazy time that we're in with the, the pandemic and uh, the global economic uh, collapse. Yes, it's absolutely my pleasure to have you here. Now, we were just talking offline about, you know, the quickening process, technology and uh, the intertwining of all these wonderful things. I mean, it is, after all, a, a great, big, wonderful world we live in and opportunities abound in, the, I guess, the toughest time. Is it a matter of perspective, do you think? Yes, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I, I was saying before, I just posted a piece I've been thinking about for a while that uh, to LinkedIn. I encourage your uh, listeners or viewers to check it out. It's called Chase the Maelstrom, Find the Chaos, Go for the Mayhem. And what, what it is basically is just um, suggesting we all keep in mind that there have been these kinds of crises before. You know, humans have been dealing with this for thousands of years, whether it's like, oh, no, somebody put the fire out. We've got to find get lightning to strike again so we can cook the woolly mammoth. Yep. Um, but I mean, even things like the Black Death and the Great Depression. But the idea is that certainly while it's trying and challenging, that there are opportunities that emerge out of these kinds of crises. And I would encourage listeners and viewers to think about that. Yeah, well, look, um, just a, as a bit of a forward, we will be providing all of the links back to uh, your good self as well as uh, relevant LinkedIn posts, so people will be absolutely able to find you. Now, um, I always like to unwind um, my guests' life, their personal sides, and do you have a story to tell? I was wondering if we can skip back a few years and uh, learn a little bit about your personal journey and including where you are at the moment in the world. Okay, well, so I'll try to do the what we call the Reader's Digest version, right, or the <laughs> elevator pitch. Um, so I describe myself as a nonlinear, multimodal careerist. I sort of made that up. Um, but I've had eight careers so far. Um, I, right after, I have a degree in German literature from a liberal arts college in Vermont, small school. Um, I, after graduating from college, I got a gig touring with a band called McHenry Spring. Um, did three albums with them, opened for groups like the Eagles and ZZ Top. Um, the band broke up. I moved to New York, became a session musician, 
uh, toured and recorded with people like Robert Palmer. I did uh, two tours and a live album at the Dominion Theater in London with him. I'm a bass player, by the way. Um, and then got into the session scene in New York and then realized that the people on the other side of the glass in the recording studio were the ones actually in control and making uh, a living. So I became a jingle producer, writing and producing music for TV and you know radio advertising. Then became intrigued by the World Wide Web and taught myself to be a web producer in the early 90s and hung out a shingle as a freelance web producer and then worked at a couple of agencies in New York and then much to my surprise was hired by drum roll, IBM of all yes. companies. Fantastic. And I, I worked there for 15 years uh, in a variety of roles, um, certainly helping put consulting strategies together because as these executive P&Ls realized they could actually sell stuff with this wacky web thing and service clients and deal with supply chain and business partners, as well as analysts and journalists and, um, you know, other parts of their ecosystem. Um, we, the corporate internet programs team, were pulled into, you know, more broad um, business kinds of conversations. Did a lot of social media at IBM, um, was active in the virtual universe community. We built instances in Second Life. I don't know if any of you remember that, but mm -hmm. um, and that's still going on to some degree today. Um, and then got offered a package and was old enough to e-tire and left IBM about seven years ago, but working as a freelance kind of writer and a speaker thinking about the future of work. Yeah, you, uh, you based on all these careers I've had. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's what I was going to go into if we could do uh, as a bit of a segue is to, to ask you, with all of these experiences, these life's experiences and your personality, do you think that that's given you a, a, a unique perspective of um, how this is all going to turn out in relation to humans' relationship with technology? Well, I do. I mean, I've, um, I've always been kind of a nerd. I mean, I, uh, you know, in junior high school, I was like a, one of the geeky guys with the tape over the glasses. <laughs> now I have these Italian designer ones. But Very nice. You, these <laughs> were like preceded by the pretty nerdy, you know, 50s style. Um, I was into gamma rays and the science club. So I've always been kind of a closet nerd, if you will. And I think music and mathematics tie together as well, right? Mm -hmm. So... Um, but what, what sort of happened is I got asked to give a keynote address at my alma mater to kick off a bunch of senior week activities because um, they knew, they had a sense I'd done a bunch of different things. Um, so, and reflecting upon how I'd navigated these multiple careers at that point, I said, you know, I'm kind of, and looking at the way people were learning and working, it was like, I'm kind of, with all lack of modesty, the poster child for the way today's learners are certainly going to work. Um, and began to do some research and discovered uh, data points like that the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics says today's learners are going to have eight to 10 jobs by the time they're 38. Um, other research indicates that 85% of the jobs that today's learners are going to do haven't been invented yet. Um, and that ties to my life. So, I mean, I was running a Synclavier, a digital musical instrument in New York mm -hmm. in, the, in the early 90s that didn't exist like 10 years before that. That wasn't a job, running a digital musical instrument or building websites. I mean, in 1994, uh, you know, there were like 10,000 websites on the planet. It's cutting so, edge, again, wasn't it? Yeah, so I'm reflecting on how technology has changed culture and business and society. And it's really been doing it for hundreds of years, if not longer. 
So do you think that, um, I guess, global uh, crises as we're going through right now is um, an opportunity to adapt and innovate? And how does that work? Yes, I do. Absolutely. I mean, I, as again, I said in my piece, I mean, things, you know, I can think of half a dozen examples right off the top of my head, mm -hmm. which I think will resonate again with viewers and listeners. I mean, education is never going to be the same, right? Any of any of us who have kids in school or friends who are teachers, I mean, um, it's a whole new model. It's a hybrid approach now, bricks and mortars and virtual. I mean, business meetings. So here we are, you and I, we're half a planet apart. Mm -hmm. And we're having a conversation about uh, the future of work and the future of business, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, telehealth. So the days of going to the doctor's office for an in-person visit for anything other than a major issue are kind of gone, right? I mean, and even up to including things like I think of crypto assets. So that's a bit of a stretch. But I mean, the way value is created and stored and distributed and things like Bitcoin and managed with tools like blockchain, again, all sort of technologies and attendant business models that didn't exist like three to five, certainly to 10 years ago. I'm a big so yes, I'm a big believer in the 80-20 rule. And I think that there's going to be a lot of innovation, but uh, most of it will fall off. What do you see in the future? You know, aside from what we're seeing right now, you know, remote work and all this, um, you know, utilization of technology, what are some of the up and coming platforms and, and opportunities do you think there will be? Well, certainly there are going to be ways to rethink, you know, um, healthcare writ large, and more specifically things like how healthcare is delivered, I mean, down to robots cleaning um, intensive care units, to using supercomputers for drug discovery, um, new ways to monitor and manage patient data on a global scale. Mm -hmm. I think we have a long way to go with that, but wouldn't it be great if we could uh, you know, leverage collective wisdom and knowledge to help address this pandemic you know, more systemically, more globally? I mean, I think that's that's a big challenge and a big opportunity as well. Thank you for Just, sharing. You know, yeah, it's a couple of examples. Yeah, I um, I wonder though if you, you talked about early earlier, Christopher, how um, people will be going through eight to ten jobs uh, by a certain age. Um, how do they navigate that side of it? If there is such an uh, you know, I'm I'm in the door one day and I'm out the door the next. How do you build a relationship that's actually ba based on something that's material? Well, I think, again, relationships sort of take on a different meaning, right? So uh, there's a great book by Tom Malone. Again, we should put this link in the, yep. in the uh, you know, in the content post-event. Post yep. uh, Thomas Malone is a professor at MIT Sloan School of Management, right, connected to MIT up in Cambridge, Mass. Uh, he wrote a book called The Future of Work, and he wrote it like 10 years ago, but I think it's quite prescient. And his conjecture is that in the next decade or so, corporations will devolve and turn into basically a network of networks. So companies, big companies, certainly, um, will have sort of a core set of constituents or subject matter experts. They'll be the strategy exec and they'll be the operations exec and maybe corporate legal and a marketing person, an operations person. Mm -hmm. And everything else will be managed across a network, the way that movies are made. So the message is, you know, relationships are going to be key and they're going to be very different from the kind of relationship you have now. So we go into a, uh, an office space and you interact with the same 20 or 30 people or even globally, maybe 
if you work at IBM, you're interacting with some percentage of like 430,000 people all over the planet. But the idea of having your own sort of network and your own brand, your own voice, if you will, mm -hmm. um, is going to be critically important as you move through these multiple jobs and multiple careers. Because, again, the premise is that the portfolio of products and services, this is my conjecture, right, yep. um, of innovative companies is moving too fast to have people with niche skills or expertise. They're going to, you, the working person going through their working career life, um, are going to need to be ready to learn, unlearn, and relearn, and do jobs that don't exist today. Take skills you have and identify what the delta is, what the gap is between what you need to know mm -hmm. and then figure out where you need to learn it. And there are lots of options for where you can learn now. Um, and learn those skills and then do the new job. And then do it again. And then do it again. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, it, it, this seems to me that you be that the workplace will have less less direct employees as well and more independent contractors, the relationship has fundamentally changed, hasn't it? Yes, for sure. Now, I, I, mean, I wonder, um, given that we're all sort of tied to our home bases at the moment, and I, and I have many friends and many colleagues who are definitely in this uh, space where they're working from home, they're, they're digitized, they've never been there, uh, and a lot of them are very fearful of what's coming up. Again, I think this comes back to perspective. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about how to manage your fear of, of new technologies. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, we all have apprehensions to varying degrees, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people are totally comfortable embracing new tech, and some people are totally paranoid or anxious or reprehensive, trepidatious about what's coming. So I think as a general rule, it's a good idea to sort of take a step back and realize that technology has been changing, again, for like hundreds of years, um, and that we need to sort of understand what it is. It's there's always going to be a period of sort of innovation and then some kind of rationalization or maybe even a crash where we uh, figure out sort of what the standards might be, what the applicability might be, how it might drive business models, how it might provide value to society and culture, and then sort of a, a reckoning or an incorporation into everyone's daily life. And we go on and do, do it again, do it with the next thing. I mean, I think of personal computers, right? So can you imagine um, if we didn't have personal computers today, mm -hmm. I think when they first arrived, they were expensive, certainly, you know, sort of in the 80s and early 90s. Um, they were complicated. Um, only a niche kind of small subset of the population um, could afford them and or was interested in using them. And now it's like on your wrist, right? I mean, I don't, this isn't a smartwatch, but I mean, you know, it's amazing how the technology has been understood and adopted and incorporated and the value is perceived. So I would encourage people to keep that in mind if you're apprehensive about it. It's almost as if you need to treat technology as a child would today because they just embrace it, don't they? Yeah, well, really. Well, they're totally <laughs> wired wired differently. I mean... It's scary. <laughs> it is. We, we used to say at IBM, we used to have a contest um, for high school kids to build websites. This is in the early 90s, whatever. And we say, yeah, well, we're, we're trying to find the kids who don't know it's supposed to be hard. Uh. <laughs> okay and those and, that, and that's who we found you know, yeah young kids who just yeah build a website okay sure we'll figure out what html is and then we'll go and then they'll teach you <laughs> then i'll teach you exactly i i wonder i i see some marvelous images of you giving talks and, and lectures and, and and discussions in front of, of large groups um i'm interested to know 
of the sum total of the conversations you've had over, say, the last 12 months, what is a common theme of the question base that you're, you're receiving? Well, I think a lot of people are wondering, like, you know, what they're going to do, like, what are the jobs, like, how do, and how do I get a job, which I think is, is very real, because people are being laid off, obviously, I mean, the number of unemployed in the US, for example, is, you know, just a crazy big number, no. um, 40 million, maybe, or something yeah, it's like incredible. that. Incredible. Um, so it's scary, for sure, because I do a fair number of workshops at universities, I've been doing them virtually, needless to say, this spring and summer, um, it's a session I call how to succeed at jobs that don't exist yet. And the idea, again, the theme is that there are going to be opportunities and you just have to be comfortable that you have to chase them in a new way. Certainly virtually, I mean, no one's doing in-person interviews, for example. Mm -hmm. But I would encourage, um, you know, young people, certainly college grads, early career millennials, I mean, anybody really, but certainly someone who's entering the job market and doesn't have um, any experience or any sense of how it works to be prepared to embrace this new model and look for opportunities where, as I describe it, where they don't know what it is yet. So like, what are people doing in drug discovery? Um, who's leading those efforts? I mean, they're using science in incredibly new ways to accelerate processes, right? Vaccine development yeah. used to take five years. They're going to do it now in like nine months. I mean, so who's doing that? And do you, have, do you, the listener viewer, have skills or even some skills that might be applied in that kind of setting? And as I said before, there are lots and lots of opportunities like that that are emerging as a result of the pandemic and the global economic crisis. This is wonderful content. So, so wonderful. It's a hand-in-glove experience, um, this call for us, Christopher. Thank you so very much. Now, I wonder from, a, I guess, a thank practical you. perspective, um, when people visit your content-rich website, they're going to see a lot of different things going on there. And uh, I've spent a couple of hours actually going through all of the all of the content. It's wonderful. Oh. I, I want to talk about um, your future career toolkit. Can, we, can you share with the audience what that's about? Yes, for sure. And thank you for asking. Thank you for spending the time yeah, look, looking at all my, my content. I appreciate wonderful. it. Um, so the future career toolkit is something that I've been developing over many years and what it is, is I, I tried to take a step back and look at uh, sort of consistent processes and or challenges and solutions that I developed over the years, going from touring rock musician to IBM exec, right? Um, and I've codified them into what I call my future career toolkit. And there are three tools, voice, antenna, and mesh. And the voice piece is around using triggers. Um, it's a, actually a semantic intuition set of tools that I developed with this ideation guru, a friend who lives not far from me here in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And using, using triggers like uh, your favorite movie or a book or a TV show or even a game and figuring out what, what about it resonates with you as a way to tease out areas you're focused on or that you're passionate about or interested in. And then we take those, the results of those triggers, that voice exercise, and plug them into a grid that I call antenna which is a process of finding where our conversations going on around those topic areas. So to give you an example, so when I do it, um, I tease out Blade Runner 2049 is my favorite movie, mm -hmm. recent movie, because um, it deals with sort of future tech and future culture, which I'm interested in. And then the book I liked was Rise and Fall of Nations by Rushir Sharma. He's an economist. And he talks about sort of trending around GDP and education and what countries are emerging and evolving and which are sort of stagnating and 
because I'm interested in global economics because at the end of the day, it's all about business, you know, whether we like it or not. Of course. So the antenna grid looks like me um, following BBC Click, for example, a TV show that's on, that's produced once a week about emerging technologies sort of at the fringe that are driving uh, growing emerging business models. Um, I look at the New York Times for sure. Um, there's a show called Bloomberg Technology that's on every day at five, and they talk about the connection between innovation and mostly Silicon Valley and technology and business. Yeah. So that's a source. And I, uh, in the antenna piece, you know, I ask people to call out uh, some kind of longitudinal or temporal framework. So look at the New York Times every day, watch Bloomberg Technology at five o'clock, or New York Tech stuff maybe twice a day, and then BBC Click like once a week. So, so you set up sort of a framework, a pattern um, that you can use to kind of uh, capture and be aware of conversations around your topic areas of interest, right? Yep. And then the third piece is mesh, which is tracking down. And I encourage people to use LinkedIn. I think it's the de facto standard, the lingua franca, the coin of the realm, right? I mean, there are 260 million people on LinkedIn, mostly professionals, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I encourage people to take the findings from the antenna exercise and figure out who are the actual people and or companies that are doing interesting, innovative work based on the topics that you teased out. And then connect with them and stay in touch with them. Follow what they write about. Um, follow them on Twitter. See who they follow, who they think is important or interesting. And again, back to the network building concept. And the more people that know who you are and what you're interested in, the better your odds of landing your next job and the one after that. Thank you. I wonder if we can take a bit of a deep dive into your actual program and I guess the construct of it and what people are likely to find inside of it. Yeah. Well, so this, this future career, career toolkit is part of a course that I uh, did for LinkedIn Learning. Um, I spent a week in Santa Barbara on a soundstage at the end of January when you could go out for dinner and uh, <laughs> hang out in groups. And, uh, you were working. <laughs> and I was working. I was reading from a teleprompter, blah, 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 <laughs> of this content that I had written. Um, but I would encourage, again, viewers or listeners to check out the Future Career Toolkit, which is in this, is sort of embedded in this course. Um, to be honest, it really, the toolkit is actually sort of vertical and discipline agnostic, but LinkedIn wanted me to cast it as a way to help future data scientists. So the name of the course is, I've been putting my salesman hat on, um, Future Proofing Your Data Science Career. And with all lack of modesty, I think there's some interesting content that sort of uh, preamble that kind of sets it up. But again, I would encourage people who are not data scientists or not particularly focused on that field per se to go take a look at this course and go, you could go right to the toolkit and uh, they've done a terrific job um, of laying out how it works. And we did it, me and the producer actually kind of walked through building out the grid and um, explaining the tools and how to use them and what the desired outcome or work product might be. And um, so yeah, I think it's it's all there and, and pretty clear. So Is it a lineal sort of experience or is it one of these things that you can use as a resource and come back to certain chapters or parts? How do you use Yeah. That? Well I think the toolkit again is is something you can use like your whole your whole life, your whole kind of set of careers, if you will. because um, they're designed again to be sort of vertical or discipline agnostic. It's a way to 
identify what you're passionate about or interested in or have skills in. And that's going to change, right? For sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, as people go through these multiple careers, their skill sets are going to change. It's like, you know, I was a touring rock musician who knew how to work in a studio with headphones and play in tune to a click track. And I went from there to, you know, writing tweets for the uh, CMO at IBM, like describing new product launches. So who would have again, thought? different, yeah, who would have thought, right? Different <laughs> sets of skills, but some, you know, some transferable um, aspects like creativity and again, working to a timeline, working to a schedule and um, working at a certain level kind mm-hmm. of sort of productivity or whatever. So the, again, the toolkit, you know, your your voice is going to change for sure, um, and the the antenna therefore is going to change. The, the the people and and sources and channels that you're following are going to morph and evolve, and so is your mesh. You know, your your set of contacts, your sort of three dimensional data visualized network of networks, if you will. You have a wonderful mind, and and you obviously um, just like a sponge you you take in knowledge i wonder what other magnificent minds do you do you follow either in books or audio books who do you who do you follow at the moment um well so one of the i'm going to break away and show you this book yeah I just, sure i just finished reading which i encourage you to check out um it's by and by the way can i just say i'm going to steal your chair that looks very comfortable Oh yeah, it's, a nice, it's very nice. It's a little big for the room, but my wife got it for me. It's comfortable. So here, this is a book by Philip Coggan, right? Yep. He's a writer for The Economist magazine, and it's a history of the world economy from the Iron Age to the Information Age. And it's a fascinating study in how sort of business and culture and society have evolved. And it's quite detailed, but it's, he, his style is is really great. So I would encourage people to check that if you're interested in, again, sort of the meta picture around sort of culture and business and technology, because he talks about, you know, technology as a thread, obviously, through the discussion around global economic uh, evolution, if you will. That's um, yeah. So that's one guy. Um, Tom Malone, again, the author of that book, The Future of Work. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a futurist named Gerd Leinhart in Zurich, and he does some wonderful webinars um, that I follow. Uh, actually, the, a guy named Alan DeHaze, who's the CEO of ADECO, right, a staffing agency, is a very forward-thinking, insightful kind of workplace futurist. He's someone to explore. Um, and I can send you links or we can collaborate yeah, afterwards to make sure this information is available to your your audience. Um, another guy named Ravin Jusuthafan. <laughs> He's a senior exec at uh, Willis Towers Watson and writes and speaks about future of work and um, really, really brilliant guy. There's That's also right. an MIT organization called the Institute for the for Work of the Future, mm-hmm. a woman named Elizabeth mm-hmm. Reynolds. And we'll, I'll, I'll share this list with you so we can um, share it with your your viewers or listeners but well that's what we're those all are about. some of the kinds of people yeah we're, we're, we're all about adding value and, and sharing sharing the wealth of knowledge that is available to us which is again a, a product of technology isn't it yes for sure now I, I mean I, I find I like to follow people that are um, that are academics for sure but the most interesting to me are the ones that sort of um, you know balance or um, split between academia and the real world because I mean uh, you know, the private sector and public sector collaborations along with academia, that sort of 
where innovation is taking place. And I think they're going to lead, uh, you know, the next generation of innovative business models and technological breakthroughs. Where the rubber meets the road, as it were. I, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I'd like to ask you, if we could, uh, about your talk, your TEDx talk on openness. Would you be able to share, share that experience? How was it for you? Um, it was great. Uh, I, I then was asked to join the board, which was exciting. And we produced a couple more events after that. Um, but I, I was introduced to the woman who's the executive producer, this woman, Randy Joy. Um, and they, Ted, as you might imagine, runs a very, as they say, a very tight ship. Very I mean, structured. they protect, yeah, very structured. They protect their brand um, in no uncertain terms, fiercely. right? So, yep. yeah, fiercely, exactly. So in terms of coming up with a theme for the event um, and then keeping the content sort of on topic was challenging. To be honest, I think my talk is a little bit of a dog's breakfast, as we used to say. <laughs> but but um, I sat with the board and kind of went through what I wanted to talk about. Plus, you have like nine minutes. So it's like writing a rock song with three chords, one, four, five, you know, <laughs> yeah. got to be focused. I mean, I practiced that thing word for word and took out words here and added words there and took out a slide here and expanded on this slide because you get out on the stage and there's a timer in front of you up on the balcony. Oh, really? Counting, yeah. counting down. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. You've got to be relaxed. And, <laughs> and you got to look like you're loving it. Well, exactly. Um, but it was great. So, I mean, they sat with me and said, okay, talk about this, talk about that, talk about this, don't talk about that. Um, so the, the first part of it is kind of my multiple careers, mm -hmm. my career path. And then the second half was, they asked me to describe how IBM was using social media at the time to connect this global community of like 430,000 people. And they did some really interesting, smart things. I mean, early adopters of Twitter and tweet chats and, again, virtual universe tools like Second Life and Unity mm -hmm. 3D and OpenSim, ways to get to train managers in virtual environments with avatars representing the managers. I mean, it was, it was cool. You've, you have had such a wonderful life experience thus far. I um, I, I guess I'd like to know what your actual day looks like. I think that's very interesting in terms of, we talked, touched on mindset earlier. Do you have days where you wake up and you go, you know what, I need a bit of a boost. How do I get myself into gear? How, does, how do you go about that? Yeah, well, for sure. So the way it's been going here this summer is I sort of get up and I have coffee out on the deck. We have a deck kind of overlooking the woods and I... Typically, we'll read, uh, I'll look at the New York Times, I'll look at um, Bloomberg, um, certainly check my email. There's a great app called um, Espresso that The Economist magazine yes. puts out and they update every morning. Um, and they have sort of global, really succinct kind of snippets about what's happening, um, both politically as well as from a business perspective all over the world. Um, and then I'll think about, I mean, working on a book, so that's sort of something that I do when I have time, mm -hmm. fitting it in. But I, I look at what people are writing or posting on, say, on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Um, and as I said today, I, I've been working on this piece for a while, um, sort of my Chase the Maelstrom view, and um, kind of writing it, refining it, editing it, tweaking it, finding the right images. Um, and I just posted that this afternoon. So I try to post something like every, you know, 10 days or two weeks, so I always have ideas, I sort of like a blog list of possible topics um, that I think are intriguing um, that I want to write about. Yep. And then very often I'll do some reading. I'll sit down and like work on a book or uh, I have a, a new book from another writer at The Economist 
sort of the history of uh, economists. I think he's, they've got like a dozen sort of seminal thinkers in, in the world of uh, economics Fantastic. and sort of their lives and how they evolve their theories and like that. I, um, I often have book authors on the show. I have a special place on the show for book authors because I love to deep dive into the contents of a book. It'd be wonderful to invite you back. Now, I, I think about uh, when people arrive at your website, they want to get their hands on your program. How are they going to go about finding you and where are they going to go? Yeah, well, certainly I'll, I accept pretty much any and all LinkedIn uh, connection requests. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the, the reason I do that is the flip of that is when I'm talking certainly to university students or early career millennials, my, my admonition to them is add five people a week to your LinkedIn profile. You're wagging my finger. <laughs> uh, make, make it a job. Yeah. You know, like if Friday at five o'clock rolls around and you haven't added five people, get to it. Find people who are doing interesting work that are tied to something you want to be doing in the future or that are providing say thought leadership or guidance uh, around a project you're currently working on or an area you're exploring. Because um, again, it's a numbers game, right, at the end of the day. So that's certainly what I encourage people to do. Um, you know, it's I think of it as like direct mail mm -hmm. back in the old days. Some of your audience may not be young enough to remember that, but, you know, you send out a hundred postcards and if maybe one to three people responded, um, that was a pretty good rate of return. Um, and the same kind of thing is true of, say, sending resumes or reaching for people. And I find on LinkedIn, people are generally, um, you know, willing to connect with you. So that said, reach for me. Anyone who's listening or watching, I'm happy to accept your uh, connection request. I also do sort of one-on-one -on -one coaching. I've been doing some of that via Zoom. Um, there's a woman data scientist in uh, Toronto. We've been having weekly sessions, um, sort of giving her guidance around both the data science field and career paths in general. Um, I would encourage people to look at my course, uh, check out the Future Proofing Your Data Science Career. And again, if you're not a data scientist, you can go right to the Future Career Toolkit, as I mentioned, and uh, explore that. I think you'd find that to be very beneficial. Thank you so much for sharing now for everybody who's on the call today, as is normally the case, I'll be making the links back to Christopher at improvisingcareers.com. There is a lot of great content on there. There's the LinkedIn website, all of the relevant information that you're ever going to need to learn more about your future and your involvement with work in the future. Now, Christopher, with all that being said, I have had just such a wonderful time spending some time with you on the My Future Business Show today. Well, thank you. So I have my closing comment, which I like to share with your audience is, again, when I'm speaking to people say apprehensive about future business models or new careers or job paths or whatever is, I say, you guys and gals are going to create stuff that's going to look like magic to me. So get to it. Absolutely, absolutely. I now mean, we're at a seminal moment. You and I are going to be spending some time after the call uh, arranging all of these uh, wonderful links and resources for our audience. So again, thank you very much for spending some time with me on the show today. Well, thank you for inviting me. It was my pleasure. Delighted to be here. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.